0: Um, seeing what gets revealed in awareness as we sit. And of course each meditation, like each moment in life, is is a mystery. We never know what's going to arise, even if you've been meditating as some of you have for 10, 20, 30 years. Still, awareness is always new and revealing itself and the world. So, So, let's sit together, find a comfortable posture. Sit as upright as you can. If you're feeling sleepy from the day, uh, you can lower your gaze. And as we begin our practice together, just noticing, being curious, what's here, what's present? What are you naturally awake to? So without effort, without trying, without attempting to make anything happen, a manufacture creates some experience just simply abiding in awareness present to what's being known in awareness present to your moment-to-moment experience. Guiding awareness to be present to sounds, to hearing silence, the sounds that emerge out of silence. Notice how sounds come and go and are known quite effortlessly in awareness. Same way other sensations, other phenomena appear and disappear, sensations of body, of touch, pressure, movement, tingling, vibration. We have that whole dance of sensation called body called sitting. Noticing how these sensations are received in awareness. Same way aware of the sensations of expansion and contraction, the bebbing and flowing of breath. Breath breathing itself, being known in awareness. And aware of the landscape of the mind and the heart, thoughts, feelings, moods, images. So known in awareness, sometimes pulling the attention to long trains of thoughts, other times simply being known. No need to get lost in the content of our mind and heart, simply resting in this knowing quality of awareness. continue sitting with this more open field of awareness or let the attention settle on something more specific like the breath as a way to ground and steady attention, cultivate mindfulness moment to moment, sensing, feeling all the nuance of the inhale and the exhale. And whether you're attending to the breath or the whole flow of phenomena of sounds, sensations, feelings, thoughts. Also attending to this knowing quality of awareness itself, that which allows us to know and experience this clarity of awareness that's luminous. Unobstructed, clearly knowing, moment to moment, and this way we practice together. What is awareness present to in this moment? It's hard to sustain a more open awareness, present to the flow of experience, allowing the attention to settle on a particular object like the breath or the body. It's a way to develop a sense of continuity. Continuing to rest in this natural knowing quality of mind, this awareness. Close the meditation with some words from the Buddha. How happy she is, for she sees that wakefulness is life. How happy she is, following the path of the awakened ones. With perseverance, she meditates, seeking freedom and happiness. How happy she is, for she sees that wakefulness is life. Continuing to abide in awareness as we transition from meditation to post-meditation. In your own time, slowly opening your eyes, adjusting your posture. Noticing how from the perspective of awareness it's just movement, and sights and sounds, and more sensations and different phenomena, experiences coming and going in awareness. No particular distinction between meditation and post meditation. Just one happens to be more still, a little more inward oriented, one happens to be more eyes open, externally oriented, but from the perspective of awareness. Just a flow of life, flow of experience, and in a moment, a flow of rather large cookies or cups of tea or conversations or whatever it is that you choose to do in the next 15 minutes. So we'll take a break. Uh, please say hello to someone you're sitting next to, and then we'll come back for a talk. And just noticing uh, uh, the presence of awareness as you move and talk and eat and whatnot. <clears> okay. <throat> So welcome back. <clears throat> so I'd like to dedicate this uh, evening this talk to um, all those who are suffering, those who um, have recently passed. I' have, uh, two friends that have passed within the last week in my life and I've just heard of others uh, at the break. So just calling to mind the precarious context in which we live, called being human, and the preciousness and the precariousness of this life, and how vulnerable we all are. I remember being in uh, Kathmandu and going to the the, um, uh, Pashnapanati uh, temples where they, uh, the sacred Hindu site where they uh, cremate the bodies in the ghats on the river and just very sobering to see uh, families gathered and uh, dead bodies waiting to be cremated or being cremated and something about one of the gifts that I find going to Asia that I miss here. Uh, in Western cultures, is the, the way that we hide death, and we hide cremation and burial, and um, so just reminded of the sobriety and the poignancy of of life and death that we all uh, live with, either consciously or not, but we all live with it. So. Um, well, here's a quote from John O'Donohue, a wonderful Irish priest, poet. He said, The mystery never leaves you alone. Behind your image, below your words, above your thoughts, the silence of another world awaits. A world lives within you. No one else can bring you news of this inner world except ourselves and our... Practice and awareness. Awareness is what reveals both the inner and the outer landscapes. And so, I want to talk about awareness tonight. It's pretty much the only thing I really want to ever talk about. But I, just, you know, I can't just talk about awareness the whole. Well, there's two things I want to talk about: awareness and the climate emergency. And then they're not unrelated. Um, but of course, I have to talk about other things than that. Um, but they seem to me the most poignant of the impressing of matters. Um, so, um, yeah, as I was saying, I was leading a, a, a day long recently here on awareness. If you want to hear more uh, fuller teachings on this theme, you can download that uh, day long of talks and meditations from Dharma Seed, which is where everything is recorded here and uploaded freely. Um, So having practiced and meditated in the Buddhist tradition primarily, in other traditions, but mostly Buddhist, the last 35 years, I would say it's been an exploration in awareness, an exploration of awareness, and an exploration of what awareness reveals, both in meditation and in life. And I find awareness to be one of the mysterious jewels of life and of practice and experience, and um, after 35 years of exploring the, this field, I would say I know a little bit, <laughs> but there's so much that we don't know, so much to be revealed, so much that's elusive and beyond words and beyond, uh, incapable of actually encapsulating, certainly in a talk so this is um, some words from a great uh, Tibetan uh, Zogchen master called Shabkar Rinpoche who is a wild yogi and uh, who lived up in the mountains of Tibet was also a great nature lover and wilderness lover and also an amazing teacher on the nature of mind, the nature of awareness. And so this is a kind of a meditation instruction so you can let yourself... Meditate briefly. He says, let your mind spontaneously relax and rest. That's just a great instruction right there. Let your mind spontaneously relax and rest. Class dismissed. (laughs) When left to itself, ordinary mind is fresh and naked. When he's using the word mind, he's using awareness, really. Ordinary awareness is fresh and naked. If observed, it is a vivid clarity without anything to see. A direct awareness, sharp and awake. Possessing no existence, however, it is empty and pure. It is not permanent since it doesn't exist at all. It is not nothingness since it's vividly clear and awake. It's not oneness since many things are cognized and known. It's not plurality since the many things known are inseparable in one taste. It is not somewhere else. It is your own awareness itself dwelling in your own heart. This can be perceived directly in this very instant. Never be separated from it, children of my heart. So in other meditations, there's a beautiful text that used to be a secret teaching, but now within the age of internet and whatnot, there's less and less secret teachings. Everything's pretty much available. But there's one, there's a beautiful text called The Flight of the Garuda. Garuda's a... um, Sort of an archetypal uh, bird. And um, in in this particular text, he's often instructing people to look at your own mind, look at the nature of awareness. Does it have a shape? Does it have a color? Does it have a size? Does it have a location? Does it have an age? Does it have a gender? Does it come and go? Is it yours? Is it not yours? Is it separate from things? Is it the same as things? Is it one or many? Look at your own mind, look at your own awareness and see for yourself what is this thing that reveals experience? Right? So some of this may sound esoteric. I'm hoping to make this quite practical, right So when I hear when I ring this bell, Awareness allows that to be known. Doesn't allow. Awareness reveals. Awareness knows. You could say the simplicity of hearing. You don't have to make an effort to hear. Right? Is anybody struggling? Okay, I got to do this thing right. I got to hear. It. No, you just sound arises known. Oh, hearing, and then cognizing bell, and that cognizing is also known in awareness. So much of practice, mindfulness practice particularly, is oriented towards knowing phenomena, knowing stuff, knowing things, breath, body, feelings, thoughts, sounds, sensations, people, experience, reality. And that's all very necessary in our lives to cultivate awareness, cultivate attention, cultivate wisdom by knowing, Understanding our experience. But we rarely pay attention to that which is knowing, that which is revealing these things. Right? So many of you probably meditate at home, many of you probably cultivate mindfulness of breath. How much attention is with breath and how much is with the knowing the breath is happening, the knowing the breathing is happening? We can go to the object or we can go to the knowing or we can be aware of both because they're not separate, actually. Rumi said, the one you're looking for is the one who is looking. So you could say this talk is about who is it that's looking? Who is the one that is looking? Who is the one that's listening? Who is the one that's thinking? Who is the one that's knowing? And this is a central theme of, of these Dharma teachings, wisdom teachings, to understand the nature of this thing called me, called I, called self. Achen Cha great Thai meditation teacher used to say, our practice is simply to see this original mind, this original mind, the knowing mind, the one mind, So the reason I like to speak about this is because it's a profound um, doorway, it's a profound um, contemplation and also liberating when we understand the nature of our own minds, the nature of awareness and learn to abide in awareness as awareness. Awareness is always present, always peaceful, Always clear, always knowing, always available. Unless you're asleep, and even then you can cultivate awareness in sleep, called sleep yoga. Uh, unless you're dead, and then awareness—well, who knows what happens? But transmigrates the body, the physical form. Again, from Achanchar, he says. Try to be mindful, which is try to be aware, and let things take the natural course. Then your mind will become quieter and quieter in any surroundings. It will become still like a clear forest pool. Then all kinds of wonderful and rare animals will come to drink at the pool. You will see clearly the nature of all things in the world. You will see many wonderful and strange things come and go, but you will be still. This is the happiness of the Buddha. So when we abide in awareness, abide in presence, we abide in that quality of stillness, the still point in the center of movement and activity and life. Uh, Awareness in some ways is unmoving. It's like being in a car and life. In a way, I I just spent a lot of time on airplanes. In some ways, we don't go anywhere. Awareness is just here and the world passes by. And then you end up in a weirdly different continent. I'm not saying which one's the weird one. (laughs) So mindfulness practice, the practice that we cultivate here a lot at Spirit Rock, is a way to, um, to embody and know fully and intimately awareness and to know fully that which awareness is revealing in our experience. And so we talk about cultivating mindfulness which is really allowing the light of awareness to shine forth and to be mindful of what's getting in the way of uh, of being aware. So in the uh, Tibetan t- teachings, which are sort of later iterations of uh, the Dharma teaching, so Spirit Rock's more grounded in the Theravada tradition, which is the early lineage of Buddhism. And then there's later waves: Mahayana, Zen, Tibetan Vajrayana. And as um, the you could say as the lineage progressed, there was has been more awareness or interest in understanding the nature of mind, the nature of awareness itself. As, a, as one of the primary vehicles for understanding, for wisdom, and for freedom. And there's one particular teaching um, that points to why we don't see the nature of mind, why we don't see awareness as, a, as the nature. One, because it's too close. One, because it's too easy, it's too simple. We tend to overlook that which is already here. It's also too sublime, subtle, and too vast. Boundless is awareness. So there's different ways that we miss this very thing that's closer than your own breath. It's right here, shining brightly, yet we don't see it. We see the reflection in the mirror rather than the mirror itself. So I'm going to be exploring different ways to... Um, different facets of awareness as we, as, we, as we sit here tonight. So we'll start with a practice. Um, maybe the only practice we'll do, we'll see. Um, and it's called unmindfulness practice. And so we'll do this for a grand total of a minute. And the instruction is to not be aware to not pay attention to not be mindful to not notice anything to not make any effort to not practice to not try to get anywhere just simply be unmindful and not notice, not be aware okay, off you go eyes open, eyes closed doesn't matter because you're not noticing anything I'll just have my cookie and peace and quiet over here <sighs> and don't make any effort. All right, that's enough. Bell. <laughs> that's for those of you not noticing the bell. So what did you notice in that practice of unmindfulness, unawareness? Was anybody successful in not being aware of something? Right? Suddenly you get more aware of something, right? It's impossible not to be aware. At least not for very long. Maybe a micro-moment. But Awareness is always aware. It's just, that's the nature of awareness. It's aware. It's awake. It's wakeful. And it's the nature of your mind. The nature of our mind's essence is awareness. This is good news. Mindfulness is cultivation of awareness. Awareness is already here. What's the big problem? Why is mindfulness so hard? Why are you struggling all the time? Awareness is here. Just relax. And things will be noticed. Thoughts, feelings, memories, plans, tiredness, heaviness, joy, boredom, tea, burping, breathing, farting—who knows what? When happens by itself, and reveals things moment to moment. That's why, in the meditation instructions, I was trying to orient to that sort of more natural quality, natural orientation. We tend to struggle, and make a lot of effort when we practice. So the good, the question is then why why do we practice? <laughs> why do we why do we tr- practice so hard? In meditation, cultivating mindfulness, which is cultivating awareness, when it's here. Mm -hmm. Because our attention gets absorbed into things. Our attention tends to uh, not abide in the present. Abides in thought, in memory, in plans, in, you know where it goes, (laughs) Right, you just meditated for 40 minutes. Right, how, how present were you during that 40 minutes? And some, you know, times. As Buddha Dasa said, one of the great Thai masters in the last century, when asked about his students, he said three words, lost in thought, lost in thought. That's where our attention is mostly absorbed, in thought. So we miss life, as you know. It's what we mostly battle with in meditation, thinking it's the enemy. So we cultivate awareness, we cultivate mindfulness to learn how to abide and establish this natural capacity of awareness and to see the ways that we get caught, the ways that we lose this Natural awareness, natural presence, natural brightness of mind. Either awareness of what's happening or awareness of awareness and presence itself. And so there's good, you know, there's many reasons why we choose not to be here. Because it's painful. Because it's hard. Maybe your body's hurting. Maybe your mind's hurting. Maybe your heart's hurting. There's a lot of reasons we want to check out. Right? Life can feel hard, and so we think if we check out, it will be easier. There was a study from Harvard research we did that, that chronicled that we're present 46.9 percent of the day of to activities. say half the day we're not present. It's probably more than that. Right? Where are we? The other half? up there, in the coconut. Or we're lost in our screens, we're lost in busyness, we're lost in the the culture of distraction. It's really great being uh, off the grid for two weeks, two blessed weeks, 16 days off the grid. What a joy not to be looking at screens. And just seeing how awareness flourished We're not absorbed in technology. We're not absorbed in present moment experience, particularly out in nature, which is very, very alluring for awareness. But even there, I noticed, you know, hiking, walking long days, six, eight, nine, ten hours a day. Um, You know, at times I'd be very present to the beautiful valleys and streams and mountains and waterfalls. And other times... I'd be lost building my little meditation cabin cabin in the woods in Nepal. <laughs> I was walking through Nepal, and I was fantasizing living and moving to Nepal, <laughs> having a little cabin in the mountains, and all of that. You know, it's like, oh, I'm not in Nepal. I'm wishing I was in Nepal. Wish I was living in a cabin in Nepal while I'm hiking in Nepal. <laughs> That's the mind. We're kind of weird that way. We want to be somewhere that we already are. This beautiful haiku <laughs> from Basho, is a Japanese poet, something like "Spring in Kyoto" and "How I Long for Kyoto" or something like that. And he's in Kyoto, longing for the thing that he's wanted, longing for the thing that he's in. So, how do we learn to abide in this awareness? How do we learn to not uh, check out? Right? When actually, as we know from our own experience, from practice, meditation, or life, that when we're present, when we're awake, when we're aware, and abiding in awareness, it's a beautiful presenceful experience. Why would we want to be anywhere else? So you could say the a lot of dharma teachings, Buddhist teachings, mindfulness teachings, they're really about uh, supporting us to abide in awareness, to know that as our nature and to not be separate from it. And so we start with many different kinds of tools or techniques that are a way of cultivating awareness. And you're familiar with some of those practices, I'm sure. Right? We start with learning to focus the attention, to focus this, you know, awareness is really like this sort of 360 degree luminous light. And we learn in the beginning to focus. Why do we focus? Because our attention is scattered. We live in what's called constant partial attention. Our attention is mostly divided between one or two or more many things, right? We're having conversation, we're thinking about what we're gonna say, we're eating our lunch but we're checking our email, we're driving and listening to the radio, we're eating our dinner and checking our phone, right? The constant partial attention, which doesn't actually support awareness or well-being. it's just something that we do a lot. So we cultivate. The first thing we do, we start to focus, to concentrate, to develop some kind of steadiness in awareness, steadiness in attention. Not so easy, which is why it's a training. There's a poem sometimes I read after teaching uh, focused awareness practices, and from Billy Collins, and he says. Um, Uh, It was a day in June, all lawn and sky, and I wanted nothing more than to be in the moment, but which moment, not this one, or that one, or any of those didn't seem perfectly right for me. And besides, I was too knotted up with questions about the past and his tall, evasive sister, the future. And besides, what were we going to serve the vegan twins who were coming for dinner that evening? And why was the driver of that pickup truck huddling down towards the lone railroad track? And so the priceless moments of the day were squandered one by one, or more likely a thousand at a time, with quandary and pointless interrogation. How much of your meditation was squandered with quandary and pointless interrogation? Or musing and meanderings and wanderings and philosophizings and analyzing and debatings and having arguments? And right, that's why we practice. We learn first to actually arrive here. And one of the supports for arriving here is the body, right? So we cultivate an embodied awareness. Awareness that's suffusing, permeating, and drawing on the natural presence of our physical experience. One of the joys of hiking these last few weeks was... It was really abiding and embodied awareness, moving my body. And certainly as I got up to altitude, it got very embodied because it got much harder to hike. (laughs) When you're hiking above 12,000 feet, it gets hard. Um, Breath gets hard, movement gets hard. And it was beautiful support for really being present. Hard to check out when your lungs are really working to, to, to breathe. So right now as you're sitting, are you listening from here or are you listening from your whole body? Can you sit with an embodied awareness? Can you be aware of your posture and your sensations? And can you sense how these words are actually impacting your soma, your, the field? Right? The words just don't, don't just go here, we, we, we're sensory beings. And so the words and experience lands so what's happening here in your belly and wherever else in your feet? So I seem to be quoting from a lot of dead time meditation teachers. Here's another one, Achan Mun, great master. In your investigation of the world, never allow the mind to leave the body. In your investigation of the world, never allow the mind to leave the body. Or never allow the mind body to leave the mind. Another way of saying it. Examine its nature. See the elements that comprise it. See its transient, uncertain, and selfless nature while sitting, walking, standing, and lying down. See its nature. The body is teaching us about the nature of things. It's changing. It's uncertain. It's unreli- unreliable. It's empty. It's empty of self-existence. When the true nature of the body is seen fully and lucidly by the heart, the wonders of the world will become clear. In this way, the purity of the mind can shine forth timeless and delivered. So we cultivate focused awareness, embodied awareness. We can cultivate awareness in movement, in activity. One of the beautiful things about this tradition that I've so loved in the Vipassana world is we get to practice in the four postures, as the Buddha spoke about sitting meditation, walking meditation, standing meditation, and lying meditation. Maybe that's the favorite. I've started teaching lying down meditation in my nature retreats a lot more, and it's very profound just lying down, looking up at the trees, feeling the body as not separate from the earth. But moving awareness right? we move a lot in our lives. How present are we are, how embodied are we as we move? As I was saying, hiking these past two weeks, all right. This is a flow of awareness, knowing the movement of the body. So often in meditation we're directing the attention to specific things. Breath, sometimes if we're focusing maybe the body to do more embodied awareness. Maybe awareness of the heart, the movement of the emotional life, or to the mind. And sometimes we sit with more an open or choiceless quality of awareness. And all these different practices are just pointing to different facets of awareness. That can be focused, that can be embodied, that can be open. Open awareness, choiceless awareness is mostly the quality of awareness that we move in the world with that's simply present to the flow of experience, which is what I was trying to point to in the meditation a little bit. Open awareness is just the awareness that's present to the flow, this waterfall of experience. Like in in the space of a few seconds, you're aware of sights and sounds and smells and touch and feelings and thoughts and images and memories and ideas and perceptions. And then it repeats in a different algorithm. It's this flow of experience that we're being invited to be present for, to be awake for. So, as as I've been pointing to, uh, we can sort of feel into the naturalness of this Open quality of awareness. We don't have to do anything. Right? This is this is the unmindfulness meditation, the non the not doing meditation. Right? Try not to be aware. Right now, try not to be aware. What happens? You become aware of things. Right? You become aware of the subtle sounds in the room, or space, or light or sensation, or temperature, or tingling, or mood, or energy, or vibration. And this is awareness, this is open awareness, things just coming into the field of experience. That um, the poem from from Rumi about the guest house, you know, is, is an example of that. You know, each moment, each day is like a guest house exactly how it goes each moment a momentary arrival greet them at the door laughing and welcome them in Right, invite, be open, be curious a joy, a meanness, a sorrow some momentary visitor comes as an unexpected something welcome and treat each guest honorably they may be clearing you out for some new delight what, is it, what would it be like what's it like to welcome experience welcome to see how awareness—it's the very nature of awareness—is welcoming. It's open. It does—it's actually unobstructed. And then we bring this awareness into activity. Right? Sometimes we make the mistake of um, associating meditation with this still posture, with with that. that. Somehow it means being mindful or being aware. Awareness is unobstructed. We're able to be present in activity. One of the things a Buddha pointed to, being mindful in walking, standing, sitting, moving, lying down, changing your clothes, defecating, urinating, pee here now. Uh, It's in the text. No, just kidding. Um, Again, we uh, we can do this quite effortlessly. Just simply be present to the movement of experience. Driving, cooking, bathing, walking the dog. So as as you live your life this week, be present to activities and being present to the knowing, the awareness that's revealing those activities. Be aware of chopping the carrot as I was today making my vegetable soup. And be aware of the knowing that's knowing that. Not in a distant, abstract, disconnected way, but just how it's happening by itself. So Vipassana, which is one way this practice at Spirit Rock is called Vipassana, means seeing clearly. Or sometimes we translate it as insight meditation. And so we can cultivate an insightful awareness. That's another facet of awareness. You could say the purpose of mindfulness awareness is to reveal, is to shed light on, is to know, is to illuminate, experience ourselves, life. To illuminate what we don't know. To illuminate where we suffer. Why do you practice mindfulness? Why do you practice awareness? Do you practice awareness because you're sublimely happy and peaceful all the time? <laughs> Probably not. You practice awareness because you want to understand, you want to wake up to why we are suffering in this beautiful place called planet Earth. Why are we unhappy? Why are we stressed? Why are we diseased? Why do we wake up with anxiety or fear or depression or loneliness? or loss, or sadness? Why do we wake up with existential angst about our lives and our children's lives or the state of the world? We practice as a way to understand this complex, difficult, nuanced reality called being human, so we can find a way to navigate with some ease, some, some kindness, some freedom in it. It doesn't make the world's problems go away, but it certainly gives us some capacity to meet it, to deal with it, to respond to it wisely. So we cultivate insightful awareness. One of the main things that we orient the Buddha's pointing people to understand is the nature of transience. The nature of change, seeing those dead bodies in the burning ghats, that's awareness of transience, awareness that this body is not going to last very long. Just like my friends who passed this week, not going to last very long. Maybe probably less long long than we think it's going to last. So we pay attention to the changing nature of experience. When I was hiking in those mountains, you know, some of them, as I said, there was 26, 27,000 feet high. The tops of those mountains are marine sandstone. What does that mean? That means they used to be at the bottom of the ocean before the tectonic plates moved them up. That's change. Right? The glaciers that my guide Mingma, who had been guiding for 20 years and his father had been guiding for also 20, 30 years, When he was guiding, when his his father was uh, guiding, those glaciers came right up to the trail. Those glaciers now, many, many miles up the mountain, many, many kilometers up the mountain. Some of them almost receded to to non-visibility. They've gone underneath the moraines. That is changing landscape. We're living in a changing climate. Eastern Australia is burning up, as is Northern California, Southern California was. We're living in a changing climate. And it's why it's interesting doing something that's <clears throat> a little physically uh, strong or challenging, as um, being up in the mountains is, because it was freezing, <clears throat> sometimes very hot, mostly freezing. Uh <clears throat> And occasionally there would be a chance to get a hot bucket of water to have a wash. I did shower before I came tonight. Um, Didn't shower much when I was there because it was freezing. You're taking, you put this hot water over you. And then it's, you know, it's about maybe, I don't know, freezing outside. And just noticing the changing nature of sensation. Sometimes burning, sometimes freezing. Sometimes cold, sometimes hot. When we can... When we're not resisting the truth of change, it's just change. Even though the mornings were bitterly cold, it's like okay, so it's cold, it's gonna get warm in the day. When the noontime is baking hot, so okay, well it's gonna change, it's gonna get cool in the evening. When we're aware of change, there's a little more capacity for equanimity. Sometimes the smells are really intense. A lot of aversion, a lot of reactivity. Oh, look at that. Is the problem in the smell or my reactivity or my desire for something other than the smell? A lot of insight comes when we bring awareness to our experience. Where's the source of suffering? Is it the cold? Is it the heat? Is it the smell? Or is it my mind's reactivity? Thinking it should be different. I noticed as I was hiking, I had a, quite a bit of um, reactivity in my mind at times. Quite a bit of judgment. Quite a bit of negativity towards people. And so, okay, well, I'm taking this as a two week meditation retreat. Let's look at my own mind. Is the problem with the person I'm judging, or is a problem with my judging mind? I think it's with my judging mind. <laughs> Let's take a look at see why I'm judging. Why do I have negativity towards this? But they seem like a nice person. My mind was having taking sort of some fascination in fault finding. It's a sort of egoic stance of uh, conceit of being better than, less than, same as, comparing, as judging. So, oh look at that! Now I am walking. It's beautiful sunny day, and my mind's fixating on the on the character of some person that I'm obsessing about, that suddenly the vastness of the mountains coalesces into some negative reaction to someone. Oh, look at that. That's called suffering. That's called pointless, unnecessary suffering. (laughs) That has nothing to do with that person. has everything to do with my own reactive mind. That's worth looking at. It's worth understanding. And so as we learn to abide more in awareness, we see our mind, we see the patterns, we see the habits, we see the judgments, we see the reactivity, and we learn to get a little less seduced, a little less bought into our mind's press release, a little less convinced by its, what its perceptions are true. And it's just a particular point of view, perspective. Another way we can cultivate insight through awareness is understanding, inquiring into the nature of who it is that's looking, who it is that's seeing, who it is that's knowing, who it is that's walking, who it is here that's listening. Awareness can reveal our nature. Our nature is changing and it's also not so substantive. As the Buddha said, who... Are you the self of yesterday, today, or tomorrow? If we pay attention moment to moment, our sense of self is changing so quickly, so rapidly. Expansive, contracted, inflated, deflated, judging, benevolent, kind, reactive, mean, generous. This sense of self is elastic, elusive. One One of the reflections I do as I'm walking is I ask, who's walking? Is Mark walking or is walking happening by itself? Is this body walking by itself? Who is this thing called Mark that I claim to be? So we'll do a little practice. Um, so uh, this is a practice I learned from uh, my my Advaita teachers in India. So it's a phrase and I'm going to repeat the phrase. I'm going to say the phrase and I'm going to... Re- so, the phrase is, I am a meditator sitting here. I am a meditator sitting here. So, I just want you to silently close your eyes and silently say that phrase. I am a meditator sitting here. Then I'm going to successively take off a word each time. So, I am a meditator sitting. Just repeat that silently. And then repeat, I am a meditator. Repeat, I am. I, take away the I, left. So as I said earlier, the practice of mindfulness sati, which is the original Pali word, often twinned with the word panya, wisdom, sati panya. We're cultivating mindfulness wisdom. Wisdom into what? Wisdom into understanding the nature of experience, the nature of being human. That's selfless, that's changing, that's uncertain. Again, one of the things I was noticing as I was walking, <clears throat> when you're on a hiking journey, you get a lot of time to, to reflect and to meditate and watch your mind. And one of the things I was particularly attending to was um, how the mind so easily um, preconceives, makes, uh, creates expectation, creates ideas about the future creates an imagined scenario of what it's going to be like. What this experience, what this person, what this place, what this journey, what this encounter will be like. And how it's all just fabrications of the mind. And how reality is way more interesting than anything that we can anticipate, expect, project, fantasize, proliferate on. And yet we take those um, preconceptions to be so uh, real. And then we get disappointed with the reality when it doesn't meet our preconceptions or our notions of what we thought it was going to be like. So we're hiking up to the pass. So We we, we, we start at 4 or 5 in the morning because it's a long hike over this. But the, the pass was about 17,000 feet, which is quite high. And so in, and we, you know, there was a long hike to the pass and a long hike down. And you, the guy didn't want us hanging out at the top because people often get altitude sickness if you stay there too long. And and you need a helicopter, and it gets all very problematic. So, um, and yeah, we started off at, at night, which was beautiful. We were hiking in the starlight, and then the dawn, and then we eventually get to the pass after many, many hours of hiking. And it's sort of been a big part of this hike was, like, getting over the pass. 17,000 foot, it's kind of a big deal. And um, we are probably about nine days into the hike, and uh, we were hiking and hiking hiking. It was beautiful mountains all around. And then we turned the corner... And there's all these beautiful um, uh, Tibetan prayer flags that to signify the top of the pass. And some cans and um, beautiful carved mani stones where people carve uh, Buddhas and mantras on the rocks and leave them there as, um, as um, I guess, as prayers, uh, especially getting for safety getting over the pass. And... Um, and I, so, so this 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 thing called the pass had built up my mind's going like oh like the Holy Grail, and we turned the corner. It was like oh there's the pass. Oh I guess we're at seventeen thousand feet. Okay, time to go down. And it, <laughs> it was such a wonderful anticlimax. It's like oh we're here. Okay, it's well, cool. Nice color flags. And I guess we can start going down now. <laughs> I just 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 interesting to see what, how the mind builds up things into into something. Yeah, it was lovely to be up there for for sure. Nice to not get sick and eventually make it down healthy. But um, to see how the mind sets up ideas and preconceptions and projections about people, about place. All right, so we have. Focused awareness, embodied awareness, uh, open, open awareness, awareness in activity and movement, with awareness through insight, insightful awareness, wisdom awareness, and then loving awareness. Our practice, our, our attention is suffused with kindness. And to me, the, it feels like the, the loving awareness arises out of wisdom awareness. That when we we when we understand the nature of life, the nature of reality, when we have understanding about ourselves and the human condition, it by nature kindles the heart. When we see the nature of our connection, of our vulnerability, of our humanness, of our vulnerability, of our uniqueness, of our beauty, um... It just naturally calls forth a warmth, a tenderness, a care, a love. You know, when you hear about the various people that I've uh, heard passing recently and people who are sick, and just the, the sensitivity that arises as we cultivate awareness naturally blooms and blossoms the heart. And so, one of the beautiful things that arise out of practice something that sort of surprised me a little bit in my own journey was how much this practice is, opens the heart. Sometimes people say, well, isn't, isn't that Vipassana mindfulness? Isn't that a bit cool? You kind of sit back and you're kind of analytically looking at your experience and saying, oh, it seems very reserved and very dry. And it's like, well, that's totally not my experience. It actually wakes up this heartful, alive wakefulness that's very sensitive, that's very attuned, that's tender, that's responsive, that's caring. This is from Mary Oliver. She says, there's nothing in this world if I can pay attention to long enough that doesn't cease to foster wonder and love. And if there is, I haven't found it yet. This is from the writer Henry Miller, who takes up painting later in his life, but I think it's a good analogy for the, Uh, process of uh, awareness practice he says I remember well the transformation which took place in me when I first began to view the world with the eyes of a painter the most familiar things and objects which I'd gazed at all my life now became an an unending source of wonder and with wonder of course affection a teapot an old hammer a chip cup whatever came to me I looked upon it as if I'd never seen it before to paint is to love again, to live again, and to see again. And I would say to cultivate awareness is to look again, to live again, and to love again. So, I don't know if that's been your experience, but it yeah, might certainly been true for myself as I cultivate more presence, more awareness. What naturally arises is empathy, which is also validated in the research, more sensitivity, more attunement to nature, to the beautiful species that we cohabitate this planet with, to the tenderness on our own hearts and the tenderness of meeting the people that we meet and know and love and people we don't know and all the challenges that... Uh, we may experience personally from our friends and loved ones, but also just the, the, the pain in the, of the world. And over time, that sensitive awareness becomes more compassionate awareness, where we becomes responsive, more caring, more responsive to the pain in the world. It's a beautiful story from the poet Hafez, Sufi poet, teacher, and um, a disciple comes to him and was excited to share his visions of God uh, that he was having. And, and he says, oh, well, that's very interesting. Uh, how many goats do you have? And the man says, goats? You're asking me about goats? I'm telling you about my divine visions of God? And you're asking me about goats? And I said, yeah, and how many goats do you have? And, you know, do you take care of your workers and, and uh, how, how do you look after your grandparents and do you feed the birds in winter and take care of your servants and, and so the man asks and answers all these questions somewhat uh, indignantly and, and he says well you ask me if your visions of the divine are true and I say they are if they make you more kind and more caring to each person and each creature that you meet and the proof of practice, the proof of awareness, presence, or waking up, is kindness, is warmth, is friendliness, is basic goodness to ourselves and others. So loving awareness, compassionate awareness, and then we can cultivate awareness of awareness. Which is what I've been pointing to a little bit earlier this evening. Awareness of awareness, to become aware of that which is knowing, that which is awake, that which is aware, that which is the nature of your own mind. So just notice right now notice that which is. So you're listening to the talk, hopefully, or you're falling asleep, either way, fine by, by me. Um, take a nap, it's probably necessary. Um, notice that which is aware. Notice that which is listening. Notice that which is looking. Notice that which is sensing your body. Notice that which is here. Notice that which is knowing that you're here, right? And if it helps to close your eyes, you can close your eyes. Be aware of this knowing quality of awareness. Awareness, looking at awareness. Except of course there's nothing to see. Awareness aware of itself. Aware of this knowing quality of mind. This knowing quality of awareness. And this knowing quality of awareness never leaves. It's just here. Whether you notice it or not doesn't care. Awareness doesn't care. Awareness is just awareness. Clear, unobstructed, luminous, open, radiant clarity. That is the nature of your mind. It can be known directly in your experience. When we learn to recognize that, we can learn to abide in that. When we abide in that, it becomes uh, what in one tradition I study called a station, where it becomes just the sort of fabric. It becomes the, the baseline, the foundation of experience, where unawareness becomes more the fleeting visitor. So um, I'm sort of walking us through a very... Uh, a lot of different levels of awareness. There's a few more I'm just going to touch on. One is we bring this clarity of awareness into relationship, into dialogue, into communication. A very important part of our lives is our relational world, our relational life. And we can, so the more that we've cultivated awareness, presence, the more that we can bring this quality to relationship, towards communication. This is from Mark Nepo. It says, for all that has been written, for all that has been read, we are led to this instant where one of us will speak and one of us will listen, as if no one has ever placed an oar into that water. It doesn't matter how we come to this. We may jump to it or be warned to it because of great pain or a sudden raw feeling that this is all very real. It may happen in a parking lot when we break the eggs in the rain or watching each other in our grief, but here here we will come with very little left in the way. When we meet like this, I may not have the words, so let me say it now. Nothing compares to the sensation of being in the company of another. It is God breathing on the embers of our soul, stripped of causes and plans and things to strive for. I have discovered everything I could ask or need for is right here in flawed abundance. So relational awareness is simply being present to the amazing mystery of another universe of experience called another person. It's a beautiful thing when we can bring that Freshness of presence to someone, and then we have the awareness that moves in life, more engaged awareness, a more responsive awareness, maybe a more socially active awareness that's responding to the what's happening in the world. How do you move in the world, right? It's one thing to meditate here. It's one thing to be in the cloister of your meditation cushion. But what's it like to bring this awareness into the mess and the complexity of life when you spill your coffee on your laptop keyboard in the morning and the kids are screaming and you're late for work and the nine has lost their eight-win streak? I don't know the results, by the way. (laughs) Actually, let me check my phone. Oh. (laughs) So this is an example. It's rather funny and um, interesting example of how someone who's very awake in their presence doesn't lose it no matter what happens. Just when I think that life is so good that this person's uh, making dinner... And she says, just when I think that life is so good that it can't get any better, the phone rings and life gets better. I love that music. As I walk towards the phone, there's a knock at the door. Who could it be? I walk towards the door filled with the given, the fragrance of vegetables, the sound of the phone, and I've done nothing for any of it. I trip over and fall. The floor is so unfailingly there. I experience its texture, its security, its lack of complaint. In fact, the opposite. It gives its entire self to me. I feel its coolness as I lie on it. Obviously, it was time for a little rest. The floor accepts me unconditionally and holds me without impatience. As I get up, it doesn't say, come back, come back, you're deserting me, you owe me, you didn't thank me, you're ungrateful. No, it's just like me. It does its job. It is what it is. The fist knocks, the phone rings, the sound waits, the floor lets go of me. Life is okay. That's Byron Katie. Um, That's someone who, when you're... Abiding in awareness, it's just the next thing. Oh, I guess I'm time to be on the floor. Oh, hello, floor. <laughs> Not, oh, you stupid joke for falling over, get your life together. No, oh, here we are on the floor. Okay, guess this is next. And then next. So, lastly, um, and thank you for your patience in, in this sort of whistle stop tour through awareness. um uh, This isn't really so much a... Well, I guess it is kind of a practice. It certainly comes from my understanding of the Buddhist teaching. Uh, It's what I call inclining awareness. Uh, This talk is originally called the 10 facets of awareness, but this is the 11th. Inclining awareness. Being mindful of where and how you incline and direct your attention. So I point this to a little bit as I was talking about my trip in Nepal. Awareness is free to go and and... notice and be with anything and we we also have a directionality over it and we direct our attention to certain things and as you know we have an inbuilt negativity bias and we tend to notice that which is wrong that which is problematic that which needs to be changed and we look in the mirror and we notice all our faults and we look at our friends our loved ones and we notice their faults or so we look at the world and we think of all the problems and wretchedness and we also have the choice to incline our awareness to the wholesome, to goodness, to wholeness. I already said that. To fullness, to beauty, to joy, to love, to that which is uplifting and nourishing for the soul. Not as a denial of the suffering in the world, but as a support for well-being. Like when I was hiking in Nepal, you know, I could fixate on the trash, of which there was many uh, horrible plastic pollution that will end up in the Pacific Ocean um, from travelers and locals alike Um, or I could look at the majestic mountains you know empty you know biscuit wrappers cookie wrappers plastic bottles or snow capped 25,000 foot peaks more plastic bottles and valleys and sunsets and cloudscapes Where are we inclining our attention? I want to make sure I'm looking at both because it's important to look at the reality of plastic pollution. But it's also important to take in the beauty of the mountains and the majestic beauty that's all around us here or wherever it is. So I'll leave you with a poem from Mary Oliver called Mindful. And it's um, uh, someone who's trained herself to incline her attention awareness to the beauty in nature and some of you have heard me say this poem before she says every day I see or hear something that more or less kills me with delight that leaves me like a needle in the haystack of delight it is what I was born for to lose myself inside to look to listen to lose myself inside this soft world full of joy and acclamation." Nor am I talking about the exceptional, but of the ordinary, the common, drab, daily presentations. Oh, good scholar, I say to myself, how could you help but grow wise with teachings such as these? The untrimmable light of the world, the ocean's shine, and the prayers that are made out of grasses. So let's just take a moment. Sensing awareness the naturalness of awareness, revealing moment by moment, may we come to abide in the true nature of awareness, may all beings everywhere know the goodness of the nature and the nature of awareness. Okay, thank you for your attention nice to be with you all may you abide in awareness and take care thank you I will be back teaching here I think I have a daylong coming up in December on I think it's on the inner critic if my judge will forgive me for not remembering which day long it is um, I also have some cards I run mindfulness teacher trainings I've got one coming up next year in the Bay Area if you're interested please check the cards out